0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Benedipo. And today, I had the pleasure of hosting Asaf Khoresh. Asaf is a general partner at Vintage Investment Partners. Asaf graduated from Wharton in 2011 and started his investment career at Greylock Israel, now known as 83 North. In 2015, he moved over to Vintage Investment Partners, and he has been investing in Enterprise SaaS, Enterprise Software in general, and Fintech across Israel and Europe. And Vintage has a really interesting investment strategy. They have three main strategies that they focus on, and they deploy over $3.6 billion across Israel and Europe. Asaf touches on how this setup allows them to see across the startup value chain, whether it's at the seed round or it's at Series E and beyond. Asaf also touches on how they have this unique database, which allows them to see so many different aspects of the fintech industry, which is why I was so excited to host him on today's podcast. Overall, it was a really interesting episode and really interesting conversation, so I hope you all enjoy Thank you so much, Asaf, for joining us on the Wharton FinTech Podcast. As I described earlier, you're really someone who's so good at building meaningful relationships in the venture and startup world. Is there a story where a connection or relationship really played a significant role in either lending an important
1: slot in a fund or in a deal? I'm always telling when, when I got into venture, I uh, I think by, by that time, I sort of built myself okay, pretty good um, in terms of I, I knew I'm pretty good with numbers. I did my bachelor's in computer science. Um, had some training, leadership skills. I don't know from from the Air Force. In, you know that I went to to, to Wharton and um, focused on finance, and then even did a, a bit of private equity. So, so I thought that I I might have all the you know building blocks to be potentially a good a good venture investor. Um, but then I kind of it took me maybe a few months to just to kind of realize these are all nice to haves. And at the end of the day, this is a people's business, right? So that's kind of the the thing that I'm I'm always kind of stating to, to myself, to, to my environment, to everybody that's asked me about investing in general and, and specifically in venture. Um, I think um, maybe a good example because it's like sort of a it's a good vintage story and it's also a good uh, personal story is um, I. Before joining Vintage, I, I was with a fund that was back then called Greylock Partners, and then um, it cha- um, they they kind of spun out and, and built 83 North, which is a section of the same team. Um, so, so I, um, I I introduced them to a to a company called Walt. Um, the way I got to Walt, which is an interesting story by itself, is I went to um, to Finland. Um, and met with a fund called Lifeline. They were seed investors in one of the most successful uh, gaming companies called Supercell. Um, And I went there and and told them, hey, we have this whole database advantage and we can be helpful and whatnot. And I would love to meet companies. So they introduced me to a couple of companies and one of those companies was Wolf. Um, the, The one thing that... I know what I do pretty well is connecting good people with good investors who are good people, too. And I knew Laurel at, at the Greylock, back then it was already uh, 83 North, was really good at uh, so delivering and knew the space inside out because they were. she was a board member at a company called Just Eat, um, and she loved that, that story um, and led the round and then um, Vintage also participated in that round. What's interesting about that, and that goes back to your question this round was, you know, way oversubscribed. And my, my motto back then was like, hey, I connected you so you can look at the deal and see if, if, it, if it fits you and if you want to lead that. Um, and if there is room for Vintage, that's amazing. And there's, there is no room for vintage, like we will find something else like to do together or we'll do whatever. Um, and she was like, nope, you don't understand. We will make room for you and we will do many more deals together. And um, we did many more deals together. But the next deal was um, in a company called Miracle in in France. There was like that round was also, also way oversubscribed, and, you know, um, Let's see what comes out of the company, but it's a it's an amazing company. So so it's all kind of like it's it's a very like it's a people's business at the end of the day. So um, and and you want like the good people to do business with you.
0: So I guess for our listeners, can you just explain a little bit about um, Vintage Investment Partners' unique structure? It is a unique structure, I think, in a global context, it is very unique. Um, just a bit about the, the structure of the company of the investment.
1: Yeah, so um, we would like to. We call ourselves like a, a venture platform. We basically invest out of three different vehicles, three different strategies. Um, these, I'll just the, I'll explain from from the easiest to the hardest, I, I assume. But like uh, we do, um, we have a fund of funds. Um, we just raised our seventh fund of funds a couple of years ago, and it's six hundred thirty-one million dollar fund. And basically, we invest, we try to invest in the best early stage managers across Israel, Europe, and the US. That's kind of the the tagline of, of, of that fund. Um, that fund invests both in very established, well known brands like Excel and Redpoint and recent and Criandum in Europe and so on and so forth. And also in smaller funds, which we call like breakout funds that some most people don't know about like our extremely great funds, such as, like, let's say, 0.9 in Germany. Um, so that's our fund of funds. We also have a secondary fund that invests directly into companies out of the cap table. We buy shares of executives, of angels, of VCs, like early stage VCs, that want to sell their positions in companies. And we also buy LP positions in venture funds. So for example, if someone, if an LP invested in a fund, let's say a red point, we could come in and buy, and buy that LP position um, in that fund. So that's the secondary fund. We just raised our fifth secondary fund. It's about 300 million dollar fund um, and we're deploying it right now. And then the last one, the last strategy that we started um, about a decade ago is our growth strategy. So. Um, Yeah, so we're kind of investing directly into early growth, which is, let's say, series Bs and above. So at the high level, the way I I try to explain this, um, we sort of cover the whole VC value chain from very early stage to, let's say, pre-IPO. The early stages is covered by our our fund of funds, and then anything above this, um, we try to get more exposure to the best companies and the best assets that we recognize through our secondary fund, our growth. Plan. So these are three strategies. Um, and then on top of this we have another um, fourth vehicle which is what we call like cost it's a cost center it's not a strategy um, where we leverage our IP, which is a lot of data that we collect over the last 20 years we've collected over the last 20 years and we keep on collecting. so so that's kind of what we call value plus and we've built this team essentially. Um, to kind of leverage this data. And the way we do this is sort of a managed marketplace. On the one hand, there are a lot of corporates coming to us, and we, I guess we were going to talk about this afterwards, but they come to us and say, hey, um, this is what's bothering us. This is the innovation that we look for, whether it's in fintech or cyber or marketing. And on the other end of that marketplace, there is like a ton of data that we collected about many thousands of companies initially in Israel, but now also a lot of them in Europe and in the US, and it's all tagged. So we kind of try to match those requests. And the KPI for that team is to generate commercial agreements. So either purchase orders or paid POCs um, for that. So that's Vintage in in a nutshell. We now manage slightly above three and a half billion dollars. All of us are still based in Israel, but um, we kind of have like a frequent flyer a program <laughs> right. that is kind of very... <laughs> Lots of points
0: yeah. on uh, ll and United. Exactly. I assume, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: exactly. Uh, you got
0: it. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I've heard a lot about this this data platform and I'm really, really curious to hear more. Um, and I think it's really valuable for our listeners to hear some insights that you've, you've seen from it. So I think to first establish what exactly it is because I've heard so much about it, but how exactly is the data structured? Is it startups? And then you get like really in depth about what each startup is doing um, or is there something more there? Um, if you could just, just explain exactly how the data is structured.
1: Yeah, so, so maybe I'll answer it two different ways. So most of the data is unstructured, right? So you know, the, the way to think about data is like it's either structured data or unstructured data, right? So structured is you know, Excel spreadsheet and whatever you want to call it or PDF that are transformed it into Excel spreadsheets and, and you can put it in, the, in a relational database and do whatever you want with it. So we get a lot of those, right, um, from funds when they report, and we, we get a lot of those from companies when they have budgets and whatnot. But most of the data that we have or collect is actually very unstructured. So these are notes or art or whatever, um, or PDFs that are mostly, um, you know, notes. Um, initially, this was like, it's a pretty simple file system. You would like to go and see, let's say, anything you know about Vault. We would go into the Vault folder and you would see everything that we collected in, in, in that. A few years ago, we decided to kind of try to put some structure around this. So we built like a data team. And now everything is kind of streamed into a centralized data um, lake, but it's kind of and we have dashboards and we have a lot of information that is available online and whatnot. If you ask me, we've invested a ton of money in this and 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 also a lot of time. We're continuing to do this. This is super strategic for vintage. Having said that, we're like probably in the first inning or anywhere between the first and the second inning.
0: That's awesome. And and I think it's it is unique to vintage because as you started off at the beginning, you are on so many different levels of the value change. A value chain of a company, you know, from inception with the early stage funds to, to you know, secondaries and and uh, your fund and uh, you know investing yourselves in growth equity.
1: Exactly, that's, that's a really important point because I What I'm telling to a lot of people that are finding it hard to understand our business model is that if you're an early stage investor, you may have one or two times to invest in a company, right? So you meet them at seed. If you passed, you might have a seed extension or a Series A. If you're still covering that kind of uh, phase in in the companies, in the company uh, progress, but that's pretty much it. You you don't, you know, if you missed on that, next time you're going to meet this founder is in their next company, or not forever. For us, we're kind of tracking this company. And we're seeing a lot of opportunities to invest in a similar company, whether it's directly or secondary or through a fund or whatnot. And this can be like, in various times during the company's progress so um so it's super important for us and that's a really good point
0: yeah that's awesome um within vintage uh could you explain a little bit about your
1: role (sighs) should i be a cynical (laughs) or (laughs) so i uh i'm one of the gps i joined as a principal and after a couple of years uh became a partner and then a couple of years later became one of the gps so Everybody across the investment team, including the partners and GPs, is spread across all the three different strategies, which is also important to to note, like, there are a few funds that are somewhat similar to vintage. Um, I think for us, it's really important that the team is kind of doing all three different strategies. And the reason is, at the end of the day, and we just gave kind of the background for that, irrespective of what type of underwriting we're doing, whether it's a fund of fund, we're underwriting the next fund, or we're underwriting a secondary transaction, or we're underwriting a growth transaction, the building block of each and every deal is the company. So you have to understand the company. So that's kind of, so that's that. So we're not, we're, we're not separated by vehicles, we're not even separated by geographies. So everybody's covering all geographies. Um, the only thing we're kind of um kind of segmenting ourselves by is by sectors. So I would do more um enterprise SaaS and or small SMB SaaS and and, and more fintech, and obviously given Wallet and also doing food delivery.
0: Yeah. Um so given this this like let's say broad uh, stage exposure that you have, specifically within fintech, is there any are there any trends that you're seeing based on early stage you're seeing stuff going on in seed versus the difference of what you're seeing going on in let's say series A, series B, and then stuff that you're seeing series A. Like, can you take me through the stages and kind of different trends that you're seeing along the way? Maybe if, as they change, as the companies change, as the stages change, especially today, given the damage. Yeah. age? Yeah.
1: Well, it's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure I have a really good answer to that. I, I would just say like, you know, like, like in every sector, there are trends, right? So... Um, you know, a few years ago, lending was really big. And then, um, maybe a few years afterwards, it was all about kind of, um, um, neobanking, right? It really like what's you know, the whole thing, the direct to consumer. Um, and then came all the, the trend of like the infrastructure. And I think kind of that and banking as a service. So that's kind of, you know, there were layers across the way, um, and, and some, some of the startups we've seen starting in one place kind of more or pivoted to other spaces. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, if we're looking to, and you were asking a little bit, if we're looking now at what the questions we're getting from um, from large fintechs or from financial institutions, at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. Like in the past ten years, they've always wanted to kind of uh, uh, fight with fraud, like anti-fraud. All the KYC and AML and onboarding, it's an issue. So they've always kind of that's kind of it. Um, cybersecurity is a large thing in financial institutions. So, so that's kind of that. And, and so, so that's, you know, this is, these are the, the, the basics. And if you look across time.
0: For the best fintech funds, um, are there any sort of trends that you see across who's performing the best in terms of maybe their strategy or or thoughts, especially in the early stage?
1: So just to be clear, um, we are not investing in specific sectors. The way we're looking at the world is we're looking at, the we want to be with the best investors. And the reason we want to be investing with the best investors is because the only correlation found at venture for future success is past success. So if you were successful before, you're most likely going to be successful going forward. And there is a lot of reason why it's true. The Hence, up until a few years ago, we were only investing most investing in generalist funds because these were the best investors i think what happened a few years ago when you can look at this in healthcare now maybe education obviously cyber that and and, and fintech to our discussion as well is like there were a few sectors that kind of outgrew and and the other sectors that became standalone sectors by them themselves and for that reason, you know, you could have like a dedicated fintech fund and what it would give investors is the belief that these are the best investors in that sector. And the reason they're going to be the best investors in that sector is that because they're focused on that sector and because founders would go to them because they are they would know this sector inside out and can provide them with like really good advice, right? So... so the, Having said all that is, is to be able to get back to, to the point you were asking about, where there are not a lot of fintech funds that have two decades of experience. Like, so if you were to judge like a de- very dedicated fund, you know, you have to have at least kind of a cycle or two before saying, yeah, this is a great fintech. Fund. Okay, having said all that, we're investors in Ribbit, which is one, if not the best fintech fund out there. We're invest so that's outside of our fund of fund vehicle that invests in the large X ex- like large new big brand names that, that I mentioned. We're also investor in a fund called Better Tomorrow Ventures. It's a relatively small fund through our what we call breakout vehicle. Um, and we're investors in a couple of crypto funds. We can discuss whether it's part of fintech, yes, no, black white. We like it or don't like it, but we're we're, we're part of that as well. Um, I think for us, a- as I mentioned, we want to be in the best investors and hence we need to judge their past performance. So for every one of these funds, we actually looked at every manage, every partner that made investments and we, track their track- well, we looked at their track record and then said, like, are they good or not? Or do we think they're good enough for that? Um, and to your point, I think, you know, in general, when you're very, as a, as a, as a professional investor, it takes time. But when you know what you're good at, the more you stick into that, like the better the chances that you are um, a better investor. Um, and I think so. So that's one thing. The other thing I think, which is very timely. Um, it has nothing to do with fintech is that people that you know, we're able to kind of rationalize the world and not get up in the hype and understand that, you know, prices are not you know cannot go up exponentially and then keep on going up exponentially. Um they made really good returns um the last couple of years or at least in twenty one twenty two. Um and their performance now looks much better than others.
0: Is there besides I guess avoiding all of the craze of 2021 2022 is there anything that the most experienced and best investors seem to do across the board that you've seen versus otherwise
1: so we looked at um, a few vintages um last year we looked at a few fin- vintages of, of funds on in our database um and you would see that if you looked at the two years prior to the end of 2022 or to meet mid- or to, like look like at the end of 2022 even a median fund within our database, which is kind of maybe on average, slightly better than the the, the, the data of, of, of venture fund, even the median fund would go, if you started investing in 2015, 2014, 2016, would go to be at the end of like mid to end of 2022, almost at 3x net. Meaning like on paper, if you invested a million bucks in that fund, you're now uh, holding million on paper. Very few, um, in the prior vintages, only the top quartile and in the later vintages, only the top less than decile were able to kind of realize that, you know, it's also a good time to sell. And when we looked back on who are the names of those funds and who are those managers, we could do this because this is within our database, we saw that the only common denominator is that on average, they were the more um, experienced investors. So if, so so I would say experience matters in the sense that you've been through cycles and it keeps you kind of like a good perspective on like what's happening now. And I can, I can give, I I know this because I'm in, in a fund with a lot of experienced investors and in 21 and uh, the beginning of 22, it was like, Pretty clear that this is, has nothing to do with with reality, and we should be very proactive. We can't time the market, but we we should be very proactive on um, slowing down investment pace, realizing as much as we can, so on and so forth.
0: I keep hearing about these like uh, what do you call them? Ghost ghost unicorns or like these unicorns who raised that billion dollar valuations? Yeah. Um Maybe like Series D, Series E, really late in their valuations, like like in their their startup cycle. Um, and they're, they're not going public because they can't withstand the scrutiny of, of the public markets. There's going to be a serious down, down valuation, let's say. Um, but they are stuck in between and they've seen this like drastic lowering of their valuations. So because you guys are players in the secondary market, is there anything that you're seeing in terms of valuation? Or I guess, how do you, how do you act towards those companies and how do you approach those companies who have a lot of liquidity considerations and they have a lot of people who've been in that company for, you know, let's call it five, 10 years, and they're looking for liquidity. um, Yep. How do you guys approach that? I guess, especially considering the the situation.
1: There are a lot of good companies that got ridiculously high valuations and they have a ton of cash and whether they grow into the valuation or not, it's a question mark, but they're um, relatively in a strong position because they can continue to raise capital. If they wanted, some of them wanted and lowered the valuation. You can look at a company that were investors in called Klarna. They lowered the valuation, I think, but like almost seventy or eighty percent, just to capitalize on the opportunity and continue on growth. Which is like, I I look at it as a strong statement by the company, right? And and that's there are a lot of there are a lot of question marks how you manage through this and execute through this. But that, like these are those good companies. That they have viable business model and good product, and, you know, whatever. And then there is like the the other part of the of the of the um, of the companies that are uh, what I what I call perceived. They were perceived as good companies, right? Or someone, illusionated and thought that there is a chance that these go, they will be good companies. A couple of really good examples for this um, are companies that didn't even have a product. But like an amazing team very hyped market whatever and someone decided to invest 200 million and if you're investing 200 million and you wanna don't want to dilute too much to founders then the post money is a billion dollars so hey you are a unicorn but you barely have a product so that's so there is a ton of question marks whether these companies can even become sustainable companies um we'll get to that in a second and the other ones are um, companies that needed a ton of cash in order to grow without a sustainable business model. But you know there was some kind of belief that if they get to a specific market share, then maybe the, you know, the economics work. And that can work in an environment of zero interest rate, but it cannot work in an environment where capital has cost, right? So so that's so both of these types of companies. Um, they're like basically in trouble um, and I think we're in a period like we're at the end of the period of like wait and see before most of these companies have to come out and either try to sell themselves or try to raise capital at a significantly lower valuation, right? So that's, so that's where we're at right now. We just start to see structured Type of deals we're starting to see big down rounds. So that's on the primary front, where you're also starting to see a lot of M going at the lower hundreds of millions of dollars in effort companies that raise to the times this valuations, which is which could be like the best outcome you can ask for in a company that doesn't have like um, a reason to exist or let us say. Um, so there is a lot of consolidation, but but we're also seeing, because we're playing on the secondary market, we're also seeing a lot of investors trying to sell their positions in these companies. What we're doing now is actually we're trying to be, on the one hand, very proactive and try to take advantage of, you know, the, the opportunity. Because if you wanted to invest two or three years, maybe one two years ago in specific companies, you could invest, like, maybe the last round Or people would do you a favor and say that that would be someone giving, doing you a favor. Like, come buy me at the last round. Like, typically people wanted more than the last round. And today you're seeing like across the board, tens of percentages of a discount, right? And it can be 20% discount. It can be also 80% discount. At the end of the day, um, for us, like the discount doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Like we try to project what would be the outcome of the company. So in a lot of cases, even today, we're like looking at companies that are saying like, hey, 60% discount. Even if we buy this at 60% discount, I'm, I'm not sure we can underwrite it to, to tell it. Or like, What's, what would be the reasoning to invest? And that's just a reflection of how crazy the market was like two years ago.
0: And in terms of this this secondary market, is there are there any verticals that you target specifically that where you're like, you know, soft sitting there and he, you're saying, you know what, I'm going to target some companies that are in the, the banking as a service space because I know they're going to yep. blow up. Or is the is Outworks or is it more in, like, is it inbound so, or outbound, so, I guess?
1: So it's, it's both, it's both inbound and outbound, but it's less about like specific sectors. It's more we want to be like at the best companies in each sector. So we would see through our coverage of like the global coverage that we have and through our coverage of the funds and whatnot, we would see, for example, a lot of like the corporate cards or the spend spend management expense management kind of we saw a ton of those across geographies and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get exposure to the best ones of them right because we think these will be the bigger ones right so that's gonna kind of, kind of it now we're can you, seeing can a you ton say, of like
0: can you say who or uh, or it's still no I mean it. I, I,
1: I, I I no no I, but I I think it's you know. I would say two of them you probably know, and one of them you probably don't know, right? So, and it's also kind of a little bit, a little bit about geography and, and whatnot. But, yeah. but that's kind of these are the companies we're targeting and trying to see if we can get exposure to those companies.
0: Are there any? Are there any um, closed deals that you could kind of use as an example of that?
1: No, actually, there are no, not not recent examples of that. But there are examples in, in, outside of outside of uh, outside of fintech. Um, I think that the whole the whole concept the whole concept about what we do at Vintage um, is trying to leverage the information that we have to understand just a little bit before everybody else in the market whose company is going to be the next big thing. So, for example, like who's going to be the next big food delivery company? Okay, it's all who's going to be the next. Um, buyout, pay letter company. Okay. That, that could be Clark. So we invested like five or six years ago in, in Clark. Okay. So, so before kind of anybody else can figure out like that's going to be. And, and what we're trying to do now is, is similarly. So if I'm saying like, Hey, um, out of the three companies that I think are going to be the biggest, um, our next corporate card expense management companies, if I think you know two of them, I think most people know the two of them. Okay, so it's less interesting for us, right? So we would like to know who is the next up and comer that not everybody else kind of knows and and why do we think so because we've seen a lot of data and information and we can benchmark and say hey this is this is going to be potentially obviously nothing is granted, but but yeah, so that's kind of it. So before kind of like that everybody else
0: yeah everybody how, else. how do you how do you figure that out? What kind of data are you looking at?
1: so so a like in general what what have we done here at vintage and um irrespective of me being um an air force (laughs) with an air force background what we've built is like we've been to a really good intelligence network across the venture space in europe the us and in israel and all we're getting all the time is sort of signals right this is the data that we we see we get all the time from from funds and from corporates and from more friends and from direct engagements we have with with um, with the ecosystem and and the companies, is we get a lot of information, and then we say, "Hey, you know, for example, I think I know most of the expense management lens, landscape companies. If I see now something that kind of rings, kind of ticks out of boxes in terms of like how I think about the 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 ecosystem and you know what should be the business model and how the growth looks like and the margins, I'm like." This is interesting. So I have sort of an advantage over someone that looks at whatever or doesn't see everything. Got it. Yeah, makes sense. Hope yeah, that, hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 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 totally makes sense. And then um, I know you have a, you have a specific viewpoint on, on vertical SaaS and kind of the verticalization within fintech or within enterprise SaaS in general. Um, can you explain a little bit about that viewpoint?
1: It's very similar to to a lot of things. Like you can be a really good horizontal play and provide, let's say, payments or lending to a lot of sectors. Right? Mm -hmm. So so you would build like great rails and the product will be very nice, but then the go-to-market would be kind of sort of very spread across different use cases and different sectors and whatnot, or you can build like a very specific lending model to whatever, let's say, hospitals or uh, healthcare providers, and they have a very specific tech stack, and they have specific needs, and the buyer is always the buyer. So if you come to them with a specific value proposition of lending to a specific use case, let's help um, whatever um, people that are sick and they need to fund their kind of treatment right now, so the underwriting is pretty much the same, but the execution of that underwriting and the integration with the hospital is so much easier because it's, it's focused on that, and the discussion with the buyer at the hospital is so much easier because like everything is the same, then kind of it makes a lot of sense. I, the, the only question mark typically with with all these companies is like how big is that market, right so so if you know if this is like a really big market and you can continue from there, whether it's hospitals or car dealerships or whatnot, then you know, um yeah, you can you can go on from there.
0: Do you uh listen to my past two episodes? Those ex- exact two examples, uh two people I just hosted were uh were a Rod Levertope from Sunbit and Itsie Cohen from PayZen. So there you go. <laughs> Hospitals and car oh, dealerships. <laughs> I would
1: Yeah, and, I, well, and th- that's
0: yeah. that's exactly. What I,
1: I I did not. I I did I did not listen, but I know
0: the them. So yeah. Good cut. Yeah, they. Um, I mean, that's exact use case that they kind of hinted at was that even underwriting there's there's like a sectorization of it because there's so much specific data that allows you to underwrite even better and and uh, with more efficacy. Yeah, I, I I
1: I I. I I, I buy the thesis i buy that i buy that but that's kind of I, I think that's that's on the margin it's more of like a value position that you can yeah. give to the buyer
0: yeah yeah how
1: how, how crisp it is
0: um okay so i know we're running low on time so i do have this little thing i call lightning round where I ask some short questions and and uh and get some short answers um so what is one one piece of advice someone so you have your your mba from Morton, uh, one piece of advice you'd give to someone let's say at Warden at uh, looking to grow their career in venture and fintech
1: I would say just that the easiest is just follow what your passion is like whatever the passion is go go for it like if, if you want to be an entrepreneur just you know go do entrepreneurship that's the the, the best way you're going to learn if you want to do venture the only thing you need to remember is, is it's a very small environment and you know Sometimes it doesn't have to do with you. There is just not a lot of positions adventure at the get go. But go and build the network, and stay connected, and kind of build yourself, and you know, whatever happens, happens.
0: Uh, any top book recommendations?
1: <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, bad, I'm bad at, at reading. Um, I'll, I'll recommend. Uh, there is a, I have a friend here that's also a venture investor, and he's a book writer. And um, in Hebrew it's called Chemaim Adumim, and in uh, in English it's like Red Sky. Red Skies. Um, it's a really good book on on all the Israeli art, conflict and how oh, wow. claw, how tight we how tight we are. By the way, there is also um, a TV show that came out like a couple months ago. The same same name. On, wow. Based on the book.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to check it out. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more?
1: Um, either, um, this is probably LinkedIn, um, just been paying me on LinkedIn, so uh, that's me.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Asaf, for joining us on the Warren Fintech Podcast and have a great rest of your evening, I guess, in Israel.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me, LinkedIn.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Warren Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please like or comment on social media or even consider leaving us a review. It really helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast. Or you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium, at Warren Fintech. And there you can find interviews, articles, and so much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, thank you to our editor, Rafael Saria. And until next time, I'm your host, Josh Benedivo.